Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Good morning, church. We've spent the last several weeks looking at comeback stories. Uh, And one of the reasons I think we love stories like this Uh, is because deep down we realize that we all need comeback stories of our own, especially not just just, I need a win every now and then. I'm talking about a deep soul level comeback story. But here's what I've found that's really, really sad. That many Christians believe very much in the God of the comeback, in the wonderful grace of God. They believe in the powerful reach of God. They believe all of that for other people. But not for themselves. That somehow... For ourselves, we think it's too late. Or maybe we're too jaded. We've hoped for too long and and we've just not gotten the breaks. Or worse, we've tried to engineer a comeback and then we failed. And and, and it's really hard to keep your hopes up because being optimistic comes with a risk of being disappointed, right? Pessimists are either right or pleasantly surprised all of the time. But hoping and then having it not come through, trying and failing is worse than not trying at all. Church. I need you to hear me. If the tomb is empty, and it is, and if sin and death have been conquered, and they have been, then it is possible for every single person to have a comeback story written by the God of life just waiting to play out here on earth. It is never too late. You are never too far gone. You are never too old to see this happen. You are not too far away. You have not fallen too far. It is our tradition to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Kenny warned you that I was going to read a couple chapters close. I'm actually just going to read a couple of verses today. It's going to be really short. But I'm telling you now, it's going to be obscure. The Word of God says this. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, 
but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Let's pray. God, we know that you are the God of the comeback. And God, we believe that. We see that happen. But all too often we believe it for others and we see it for others. God, I pray that you will open our eyes, that you will open our hearts, that you will give us faith and hope to believe that it's also for us. God, I pray that every person here would come to an acute awareness of how much you love them. And I pray, God, that we can all give ourselves completely to you, trusting that you are for us. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So, I know that was a little obscure as far as texts go, but, and, and I'm not really sneaking up on you. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of going to set the stage and get to where I'm going really quickly. Uh, I, I, and to do that, I want to read for you Judges 13.1 that, that, that sets the stage a little bit for what was happening with Manoah. Uh, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So, here we are in the period known as the time of the Judges. You can see we're reading from the book of Judges. Judges chapter 13 is what I'm reading from. And in the time of the Judges, it's this interesting period because it's the time before Israel had a king. And instead they had these leaders. And unfortunately they've kind of been saddled with this ill-fitting name, Judges. Because when we hear Judges, we tend to think of stern-looking older folks in a black robe, presiding over a courtroom, making pronouncements, charging fines, all of that, adjudicating. And there was, there was a part of that to what was happening with these leaders, but that's simply the wrong image. Think, okay, these, these judges, as they get called, would be better called freedom fighters for Israel. Because when Israel would be overrun by, by oppressors, they would take up arms, go out and lead the people of God to gain freedom from their oppressors, from those who had occupied their territory and enslaved them. Think rebel leaders, think freedom fighters, think less Supreme Court justice and more Han Solo. All right, but that's, we're, that, that's what we're thinking of when we, when we get these characters called the judges. Now, Israel needed these judges because they had them, this habit of getting themselves in trouble. They had this cycle of behavior, all right, that God would save them and Israel would praise God. Thank you, God, for saving us. And God would bless Israel. Oh, that's wonderful. But once they received those blessings, the Israelites would forget about God, would start to take those blessings for granted, and would be selfish and sinful, and then they would get themselves back into trouble. Again, an oppressor would come in and take over because they were trying to do things their own way, and they would fail. They would get themselves into trouble, then they would cry out to God again, and what would God do? 
God would save them again and the cycle would just keep going around and around. If you read the book of Judges, you see this happen a lot. That's just them back there. I'm glad the people of God don't do things like this today. (laughs) But if you notice in 13.1, sometimes God would even let them be subject to other nations to teach them. To discipline them, to help them understand how bankrupt they were being when they forgot about God, when they trusted their own plans and schemes instead of God's direction and purposes. And so in this case, they become subject to the Philistines. Now. The truth is that a lot of us need to find rock bottom before we remember that we need to look elsewhere. And that's kind of sad, but that we need to shake down. But this time they're subject to the Philistines. They're subject to the Philistines. I'm, I'm, I'm looking around right now. I'm looking for someone that I can that I can talk to who will understand what I mean when I say subject to the Philistines. Hmm. Here we go. Kevin Nelms. Yeah. <clears throat> Brother, you knew this was coming the minute you said hook them five weeks ago. Anyway, <clears throat> Kevin Nelms. Kevin Nelms is a huge University of Texas Longhorns fan. Hook them. All right, he's a fan. Now get this. Here's what happens. Imagine, Longhorns fan, you're ready to go, but you mess your life up. And on top of that, for the next 40 years, you've got to go live in College Station. All right, now this is where Texas A&M is. I can make it worse. You got to move to Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get this. Get this. Not only do you have to move to Oklahoma, you've got to get a bright red shirt with an O and a U on it, right? You've got to ride the boomer schooner around. You've got to go to the stadium every week. And you have to cheer for Oklahoma. You've got to scream out, boomer. There it is. That's you for 40 years. We're going to make oppression. No, okay. I'm making light of something, but I I need to know how serious this is. For 40 years, they're going to be oppressed by the Philistines because they're being disciplined by God to remember what they're supposed to remember. This can't get any worse. So this couple from our reading, Manoah and his wife, um, Mrs. Manoah. <laughs> We're not, not, hmm. They pray for God to help. God sends this barren couple a son who is chosen by God, blessed by God, and given a special strength and power by God, and his name is Samson. Now, some of you know this story, but before I get to Samson, I'm going to take a moment because i got a little bit to preach about. For Manoah and his wife, think about it, 
What was their struggle? No children. They were barren. The baby is a comeback story for them. God is doing something miraculous in their life where they receive a blessing they had never saw coming. God is redeeming something for them that they had given up some hope on. God is doing work in their life, and that's a comeback story of its own. And it makes me think this. What if a smaller comeback story can unlock a larger comeback story? Get this, the story that God is telling in this world is not simply about you or me and our goals, dreams, and desires. You know, every one of our stories gets pulled up into the story that God is telling, and I may experience a smaller comeback story, but you understand it's always about God's greater glory and the whole planet. More than the whole planet, the whole universe, the the whole thing, all of creation. God wants to get me and you involved in God's plan. Do you realize right now there may be dozens, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people waiting to get their comeback because you finally got your heart right with Jesus and had your comeback? You say, hold on, Adam. Millions. Yeah, I know. That was a little much, maybe. But I just think, how many generations are changed because one person came to know Jesus and give their life to him? And an entire legacy has its direction changed. I'm from one of those families. Okay, that when, when my great-great-grandparents came over from Russia to here, they were evangelized. One person having the comeback story of Jesus changing their life has started and now has triggered generations and generations not just of Christians and, I, and, and, and I'm so thankful for that but generations of Christian preachers ministers Christian counselors who have gone on to help other people so you tell me dozens, hundreds, thousands of lives brought to their comeback story. Could in the end it end up being millions? Do, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? That the smaller comeback can give birth to the larger comeback. And for Manoah and his wife, having the baby was a powerful comeback story, but it was just the beginning. Look at verses 24 and 25 of chapter 13. Your Bible says this, it says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadin between Zorah and Eshtaol. Now Samson had two things. 
going for it. One, he had a huge calling on his life. There's no other way to say it. Second, he had an incredible power in his life. Huge calling in his life, incredible power in his life. Samson had both of those things. And with those two things in place, Samson did some crazy stuff. Some awesome stuff, some crazy awesome stuff. (laughs) All right? Let me just start start out like this. All right? First, he killed a lion with his bare hands. I mean, I'm not... I'm not really into violence, but I hear a story like that, and all of a sudden they're like, Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. And I'm like, nice. <laughs> like, like, I, I got to be honest, I kinda, that kind of, me, I'm like, all right, that's my guy. All right, like this, this is the kind of stuff that Samson does. He killed 30 dudes in a fight. I want to be clear about this. It was at a time of war. However, he fought 30 dudes by himself, 30 on one, and the one won. You don't want this smoke. That is awesome. The Philistines did something terrible to his family, and so Samson decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to catch 300 foxes. There was a fox problem, obviously. Uh, He caught... He caught 300 foxes, he takes some torches, he ties the tails together so that the foxes are in pairs with their tails tied together around lit torches and lets them go running wild through the fields of the Philistines that harmed him so that it would burn up their crops. And that's where I would sit him down and be like, are you okay? (laughs) Maybe, maybe let's just calm down for a second. (laughs) Killed a thousand more dudes using the jawbone of a donkey. And the donkey was still alive. I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <clears throat> like, but it feels like that's where the story's going, right? It just keeps escalating these acts of just incredible strength. Here's what I know. The Philistines hated Samson. They were terrified of Samson. This is before the time of the kings... Samson was their Goliath. He scared the mess out of them. They didn't want anything to do with him. But Samson, for all of his strength, for all the power that God was manifesting in his life, had one major weakness that would cause him to fail again and again and again. He struggled with women. Samson couldn't resist women who were trouble. Who would get him into trouble. In Judges chapter 16, we meet one of them named Delilah. Starting in verse 4. Sometime later, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, that's, there's a lot of interesting in that, in that verse that you don't even see because you're not used to, you're not, it doesn't mean much to you, but you need to understand the valley of Sorek is sort of this in-between place. 
Okay, that, that between the borders, on the, it's sort of like there's this valley, and on one side, there's the Philistine land, and on the other side, there's the Israelite land, and here is Samson wandering between the two in a place that he has no business being in. Philistine land, Israelite land, Samson is a leader for... The Israelites, he has no business wandering in the in-between places, but he can't get out of the in-between places. And is it any surprise that while he's there, where he shouldn't be, that's when he gets in trouble? Delilah's name comes from two Hebrew words that literally mean low and hanging. So the enemy knew that Samson had this internal struggle, and the enemy put low-hanging fruit as a temptation, where he knew that Samson wouldn't miss it. And, 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 and here's the deal, the enemy may not come right out and declare, Ken, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to, Ken, I'm going to, I'm going to wreck your life today. Very rarely does the enemy take that tack. My goal today is to wreck your life. Let's, let's, let's do that. You need to know the enemy is not above using low-hanging fruit to tempt you where you are most vulnerable. Delilah is right there to tempt Samson the moment he went wandering into the place he shouldn't have been in the first place. And to Samson, she looks good. Look at verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, how we can overpower him so that we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. You see, to Samson, Delilah looks good. And to, to Delilah, Samson looks fine, but those shekels look real good. So, in verse 6... Delilah goes about it. Now, Delilah's either not crafty or super crafty because she goes and directly asks, so, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. (laughs) Now, if the person you're attracted to and interested in ever says to you, Can you tell me how I can get past your defenses, tie you up, and do great harm to you? Don't answer that. (laughs) Just say, nah, I'm not going to share that with you. He doesn't even ask, why why do you want to know? He doesn't ask. Instead, here's the deal. I don't think Samson's an idiot. But here's what I think Samson is, arrogant. He sees the danger in this woman and thinks he can handle it. And so he starts to play a game with her. And he starts to feed her false answers. 
knowing what she's going to do with it. I think he knows. I think he expects this to be. I don't think he's so dumb that he's like, she just wants to know. Like, I don't think that's where he's going. I think what he's saying is, all right, if you take seven new bowstrings and tie me down with those, no chance I'm getting out of that. Goes to sleep. Surprise. She yells out, Samson, the Philistines are here for you. And he's been tied down with bowstrings. And so what's he do? Jumps up, breaks the bowstrings, and puts a whooping on them because that's what he does. And then he goes back in and he goes, that was funny. And she realizes he's messing with her. And so she starts to sulk. I thought you said you loved me. I do love you. Then why'd you lie? Why are you trying to kill me? (laughs) I'm not. You just lied to me, though. Look, I'll tell you the truth this time. The secret is new ropes. If you can get a new rope and tie me with that, no way I'm strong enough to beat that. Goes to sleep. Wakes up to Samson, the Philistines are here to get you. Tears up that new rope, goes in, does what he does, puts a whooping on him. Comes back in and he goes, how do they know about the new rope? She starts crying. You lied to me. Right? He knows the game. They both know the game they're playing. He thinks he can handle it. He says, oh, you just got to braid my hair up special. So she tries it. Doesn't work. He does what he does. He's all out of bubble gum. And so he does what he does. And, 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 and he's fine. And then finally, enough time of playing the game. She's crying, she's crying, she's crying. I thought you loved me. And he's like, and finally it says, it says in verse 15, this is wild, it says that she nags him so much. She says, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? You're not being honest. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, She prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. (laughs) All right. Married people. I'm not looking at anyone right now. I need all of you married people to do exactly what I'm doing and not look at anyone right now. All right? Just... Samson was playing a game he thought he could handle, and eventually it wore him down. And he tells her everything. Verse 17, he told her everything. He said, no razor's ever been used on my head because I'm a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I'd become as weak as any other man. And, and along comes the inevitable trap, the one that he knew was coming. Samson, the Philistines are here, and he jumps up, not realizing that the power of God had left him. 
Now, I want to be clear, it's not the hair that was magic. The hair represented a vow that was made to God, that Samson was God's person. And what Samson did when, he, when, he, when his hair was cut is that that vow that he had taken, he was breaking that vow. He pulled the plug out from the socket and wondered why the lamp wouldn't turn on. He removed himself from the power source and then was complaining that there was no more power. He gets up and realizes he can't do anything. Look at what happens to him in verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in prison. Now this is Samson who had been called out from birth, set aside from birth to deliver God's people in a time of great need, and yet because of his pride and his weakness, he had failed. And here at the end of his life, he is blind, imprisoned, and powering the grain mill for the enemies of God. If anyone ever had the right to believe that they had fallen too far, had messed up too bad, or that it was too late for them, this is your guy. Now, I I realize I don't have much time, and so I'm going to go real quickly through my three things that I think, three questions that I think we need to ask ourselves when we hear this story. Okay? The first one that I want to ask you is, do I care more about what God does through me than I do about what God does in me? Okay? When I read Samson's story, this, this jumps off the page at me. Do I care more about what God does through me, God's power on display externally? where people can see it and experience the power of God in my life, then I care about what God is doing in me. The transformation that's supposed to be taking place. Samson loved using God's power to defeat his enemies, but we never see him asking God to use his power to heal him. To fix him from this troubling pattern of behavior. With women that he had no reason to be with, with places he shouldn't have gone, as he struggled with that temptation again and again, he never asked God, use your power to heal me. You see, it's not enough that God's power goes out from us. And man, if I could tell every person who wanted to go into ministry... This would be one of the lessons. It's not enough that God's power goes out from you. We need God's power working within us. That God can do great things in our lives, but not if we leave God's gifts on the surface and keep it from getting into our hearts and minds. It's like when you go to paint a house, you don't just start throwing paint on it. The first thing you got to do is what? You got to do the prep. What kind of prep work is there, Kenny? I know you've painted a few houses. <laughs> if y'all don't know that that's, that's the other thing Kenny does. Everyone has their side hustle. Kenny paints houses. Been painting houses for a lot of years. Do you start throwing paint on first day? Right. You might, if you're working inside, you got to lay down plastic. 
you got to do some taping. If you're outside, first thing you got to do is remove paint. You got to scrape, you got to sand, and you got to really get after it. And the better job you do of that, the longer the paint that you're putting on is going to last. If you just throw paint on the outside of the house because it needs paint, you're going to need to do that again in about two more years. You've got to take the old stuff out. You've got to sand it down and get to the wood so that that paint can stay and it'll last for much longer. It's much more investment. But you look at what God is doing and if I say, God, I need your power at work in me. God, I need you at work in me down in the heart, not just on the surface. Because if, if we don't deal with what's deep down, I'm going to miss God working in me. Second, man, I could preach on that for so long. Second, (laughs) when I'm in sin, when sin is all around me, do I make more of an effort to hold out or do I make the effort to get out? Samson was playing the game, man. He knew the temptation, knew the stakes, and thought, I am strong enough to handle this. And so he was just trying to hold out. What was going on around him, he was just trying to hold out. But if he had simply gotten out and flee that sin, if he had, if he had fled the sin, how different could that story be? Samson didn't get out of the sinful and dangerous place he was in, and disaster hit. He wasn't fleeing places and scenarios and relationships that were dangerous. He simply was making sure he had enough reserve to hold out. But the enemy is really good at waiting us out. And once we think we can hold out in the middle of all the sin around us, the enemy knows that he'll win. You may need to use today to get out of a sinful and unhealthy relationship. A sinful and unhealthy habit, a sinful and unhealthy space that is keeping you from trusting God. Last question. When I fail, do I think of myself as a laughing stock or as a champion? Samson didn't get out of the dangerous place he was in. Disaster struck. The Philistines grabbed him while he was weak. They gouged out his eyes. They took him to their capital. They set him, uh, they shackled him. They made him work. And then they threw a party. And this party was a rager for the ages. They were, they were cutting up. They were drinking. They were popping these perks just for fun. This was a party. And they eventually got themselves a little excited. They said, you know what? Bring Samson out. They said, have him perform. Look at verses 23 to 25. The rulers of the Philistines assembled a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and began to celebrate. And they said, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Yes, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. 
While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out to the prison, out of the prison, and he performed for them when they stood him among the pillars. He was their entertainment. Do you think of yourself as a laughingstock? I don't know if you've ever messed up so bad that you feel like you can relate to Samson. But if you have, you know that the enemy can make us feel like the whole world is laughing at us. That the mistakes we've made, we walk into a place, if I go back to that church, I'm going to be a laughing stock. Satan is really good at dancing on us with condemnation, shame, ridicule, saying, don't you ever think you could come back? You don't have a chance. You're too far gone. It is too late for you. But our God is the God of the comeback. And even though Satan wants you to think that you're a laughingstock, God wants you to know that you're a champion. You remember what happened in in verse 21 where it said they grabbed him, they gouged his eyes out, they put him to work in the capital city. Look at what happens in verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Every great comeback story of God has this but in it. (laughs) But the hair on his head began to grow back. And it's the first hint we get that God is not done with Samson. Now, don't get me wrong. The consequences of Samson's sin were very real. Samson was blinded and made a slave. But God is greater than even our our, our consequences. Sin can kill us, but Jesus was risen. And so we can be raised. We may be left with some scars because we grab the low-hanging fruit of temptation, but when we cling to Christ, grace is ours in oceanic proportions. Look at his prayer in verse 28. Uh, Kenny, if you'll come up. In verse 28, we get this prayer in the very first part of it. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Here he is standing there in the middle, the laughing stock. Look at his prayer. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Remember me. In Samson's last gasp, God's power came back to him. And he pushes and he topples that prison all around him. And he defeats the enemies of Israel with his last breath. Do you understand the deliverance of all of Israel? The comeback story that was 40 years in the making began in Samson's swan song. 
the last thing he did began their comeback. Samson's last second comeback brought the people of God to freedom. And that's the gospel. That's the lesson. And I thank you for letting me talk longer than I usually do. But that's the lesson, that it's never too late. That we're never too far gone. That we've never strayed too far. That even though there's consequences to our sin, God is bigger than the consequences. That God is always good. That God always remembers us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's praise Him. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.